1: Welcome to Andy Staples on 3, and we have a lot of games to talk about. As you heard with that pick show with, with Jacob Hester yesterday, this weekend is absolutely loaded. This there, There's games in the noon Eastern window, the 3.30 window, the primetime window. There's interesting stuff everywhere. And we're actually going to have a little news about a Friday game that is now suddenly more interesting. But... We got Tom Lugenbill to talk about his experience covering Clemson, Duke, and uh, elbows up in the in the field, storming and getting to Mike Elko, but also about the statement he made that caused Coach Prime and Travis Hunter to call him out. Our guy Lugs was a uh, was the topic of conversation after the Colorado TCU game, so he explains that statement as well. We also are talking to Husker Online Sean Callahan about the Nebraska side of Nebraska at Colorado. Because Nebraska, in Matt Rule's debut, should have beaten Minnesota, but did not because of some very inopportune turnovers. And now they're trying to get back on track against a team that probably, after watching game one, they realize is quite a bit better than they probably thought it was gonna be. So we talk about Nebraska and Colorado. Then we've got Tyler Horker from Blue and Gold talking about Notre Dame as they go to NC State. This is Sam Hartman's fourth start against NC State. The other three, of course, came at Wake Forest. And it's going to be a fun, fun game. The the games between Wake and NC State with Sam Hartman were a lot of fun. This time we get to see how different are these offenses. And obviously, Wake's offense is different than almost everybody's. But what does Sam Hartman look like behind Notre Dame's offensive line? against that Tony Gibson defense of NC State, which is very talented. So we'll talk to Tyler about that. But first, Mac Brown versus the NCAA. Fwad says it right off the bat. Free Tez Walker. Unfortunately, Tez Walker, the wide receiver for North Carolina, will not be freed. He will not be playing this year because the NCAA denied his appeal on Thursday. Just a heartbreaking moment for Tez Walker. And let's let me explain the case here because it's... It's all kinds of, of messy, but it's, it's a bad look for the NCAA, as almost everything is. I got yelled at on Twitter because I said it's a bad look for the coaches that complained and got this rule change as well, but we'll explain that too. First, let's explain Tez Walker's case. So Tez Walker is a wide receiver from Charlotte. He initially was going to play at North Carolina Central. He was enrolled at North Carolina Central. 2020, they canceled their season because of the pandemic. So he transfers to Kent state. He plays at Kent state for two seasons is very good, but remember all this talk we've had about Colorado in the last week. What have we said? Oh, Sean Lewis had a great offensive game plan. That's the offensive coordinator at Colorado. Well, he was the head coach at Kent state. When he left on December 5th, most of the Kent state stars went into the portal. Now, Tez Walker didn't immediately go in. He went in four days later, but Basically, his coach left, a lot of his teammates were leaving, and so he decided, I'm leaving too. And his thinking was, okay, they say they're going to tighten up on on the second undergraduate transfer, but how could they possibly do that to me because the school I went to first canceled its season, did not play football, totally outside everybody's control. And that seemed like a pretty logical case to make for a waiver, except it was Denied the first time. And then Thursday, it was denied on appeal. And that set Mac Brown off. And, he, and here's what Mac Brown said We're absolutely crushed to learn that Tez Walker's eligibility has been denied for this season and he won't be able to play. I don't know that I've ever been more disappointed in a person, a group of people, or an institution than I am with the NCAA right now. It is clear that the NCAA is about process and it couldn't care less about the young people it's supposed to be supporting. Plain and simple, the NCAA has failed Tez and his family, and I've lost all faith in its ability to lead and govern our sport. They've messed so many things up as it relates to college football, and now their failures have negatively impacted the life of one of our own. Just imagine what it is like for Tez to be so excited to come home and have a chance to fulfill his childhood dream of playing for North Carolina in front of all of his family and friends, only to have it taken away despite doing nothing wrong. I can't begin to understand how this has happened. The decision makers at the NCAA and on the committee should be ashamed of themselves for doing this to a young man. As has been clearly documented, Ted should be eligible for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the mental health issues he's faced during his time in college. With this decision, the NCAA has placed an unnecessary burden on him. He's had a rough go of it, and this will surely only make it worse. How dare they ever speak about mental health and student athlete welfare again? We've got complete rosters overhauled through the transfer portal players playing in their eighth year of college players playing at their fourth school. And the list goes on yet. Tez Walker, who has only played football at one school isn't eligible. It makes no sense. And it never will moving forward. Our Carolina family is strong and we need to wrap our arms around Tez, lift him up and make sure we continue to do all we can do to support him. He's continued to work on the field and off and remained an amazing member of our program throughout this ordeal. I know that will continue to happen because that's the kind of person he is despite this setback. Tez's future remains bright And we'll continue to do everything we can to help him fulfill all of his dreams. Shame on you, NCAA. Shame on you. That is as strong as I can remember a coach ever coming out against the NCAA. And I'll add one more thing to the pile of reasons that this waiver could have been approved. Tez Walker was already enrolled at North Carolina when this rule got changed in January. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, yes, that's exactly what happened in the cases of Tyler Brown at Colorado and Daryl Jackson at Florida State. Those guys had enrolled in their new schools before the rule changed and the NCAA applied it retroactively. Mac Schnell, thankfully Mac Brown called out the NCAA. So much for the NCAA having the student athletes first. No, it is the member institutions which the NCAA serves over all else. But here's the thing, North Carolina is one of those member institutions. And this is what I said that got all the North Carolina people mad at me even though I said the same thing when this happened to Daryl Jackson and the same thing when this happened to Tyler Brown, the coaches and the ADs complained incessantly about the transfer portal for a couple of years and said, you got to do something about it. You got to get this under control. And Matt Brown, you can find quotes of him saying that too. There, just Google it. We found them pretty easily. So, if they never say that, if they never complain, that rule doesn't get tightened, and Tess Walker's playing right now. So my problem is, why weren't any of the coaches on the side of truth and justice before it negatively impacted their teams? That's the thing I want to see. What I hope happens here, after Matt Brown has said this, where he said he does not believe the NCAA can govern the sport, then do something about that, North Carolina. It's not just Mack Brown. It's Bubba Cunningham, the AD. It's their chancellor. It's everybody there. And then also the people at Florida State, the people at Colorado, the people who have been negatively impacted by this. And it would be nice if the people at the other schools who weren't affected by this would speak out. Because I know there are some coaches out there who probably think Tez Walker got screwed. Say it. The only way any of this changes is if you guys actually do anything about it. Because the the schools are the NCAA. They make the rules. If you don't like this rule, change it. If you don't like the fact that they retroactively apply rules, tell them to stop doing that. All the schools can get together and say, NCAA national office, stop retroactively applying rules. If someone enrolled before the rules changed, they are grandfathered in, too bad. You can do that. As the schools. So that's the part I don't like about this. That's that's the part that, that bugs me. But there's no defending the NCAA in this. I mean, these guys repeatedly pass up chances to look like human beings and not like assholes. I don't know why they keep doing this. This would have been a layup. No one would have complained. If Tyler Brown, Daryl Jackson, and Tez Walker were all allowed to play this year, no one would have complained to them. But now they look like terrible people who don't care about the athletes. And Mac is right. Never, ever, ever in your rhetoric talk about caring about the athletes or their mental health, because you don't. We know you don't. Everybody knows you don't. It's really amazing to me though. I've always said the NCAA needs to hire a vice president of common sense. That's the person who would stand up and say, hold on folks. You know, if we deny these waivers, we're going to look like horrific evil people. Maybe not do that. Maybe pass on that chance. Maybe say, you know what? It's not going to hurt anybody if they play. So let them play. I don't know if they do that. But this is what you get. You complain about the transfer portal. They tighten the rules because you complain. And now this happens. So yes, there is a happy medium there. There is a happy medium where they use some common sense. Like the common sense in this particular case would have been if you were enrolled before we changed the rule, no problem. You, you beat us to the punch. No problem. Going forward, we will enforce the rule, but you are already enrolled. So the old rule applies to you. Go on about your business. That would have been the easiest way to do it. But they don't ever do anything easy there. They just don't, they don't take the layups when they add them. So it's a terrible situation for Tez Walker. You feel for him. I, I, we played uh, Daryl Jackson his interview after his appeal got denied and he was I mean, putting a really, you know, happy face and, and, and really just being very cool about it. But you could tell he was, he was heartbroken and there's an easier way to do this. But again, don't complain about how the transfer portal is ruining football. And I'm not just talking about Mac Brown. I'm talking to all the coaches because Eventually, that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. So, I don't know. It, this could have been handled a lot better by everybody, but specifically by the NCAA. Like, common sense would have been so easy to just say, these guys enroll before we change the rule. Let them play. But no, you had to look like terrible people because you always choose to look like terrible people. And I don't think they are terrible people. That's the thing. The people who work at the NCAA office who who serve on these appeals committees, the the people who work at the schools who serve on NCAA committees, they're not terrible people. They're not trying to screw the athletes over and over. They're not thinking, going in there thinking, how am I going to screw an athlete today? But they are so bound by the process that they never, ever think of empathy or common sense. It, It never occurs to them. And that's why everyone hates the NCAA. Now, if Mac is right about, hey, I have no confidence in the governor govern our sport, what if his president feels the same way? If enough presidents feel that way, then maybe somebody else can govern college football. Because again, the schools are the NCAA, and the schools can leave the NCAA anytime they want and form another organization. They'll still all have to agree on rules But it's not not as complicated as they're making it. It's going to happen. They're going to break football out of the NCAA eventually. But maybe this speeds up the process. Maybe you get enough coaches mad, you get enough ADs mad, enough presidents mad, they finally break off and govern big-time football by itself and not try to govern it like they govern a bunch of other sports that bear no resemblance to big-time football. We'll see. It's going to happen eventually. The question is whether this sped it up. On to the football field, though. Friday night, got a, a very intriguing game, Illinois at Kansas. This is one of those games that a couple of years ago, we'd be like, whoa, whoa Illinois at Kansas? I don't know if I want to watch that. Oh, I definitely want to watch that now. What Brett has done at Illinois, what Lance Leipold's done at Kansas, it is a It's a renaissance in both places. And Pete Thamel from ESPN reporting on Thursday that Jalen Daniels, the Kansas quarterback who missed the first game with an injury, is expected to play. Jalen Daniels, of course, a very exciting quarterback to watch. He makes every broadcast more fun. So I'm so glad if he's playing because I was already watching this game. I imagine a lot of you are already watching this game. But this adds another layer to it. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So let us wait and see. And hopefully Jalen Daniels will be playing against Luke Altmaier and the Fighting Illini. We'll get to Tom Luginbill and his explanation of how to navigate a field storming in a minute. But first we got to talk about prize picks. Prize picks is the easiest way to play daily fantasy. And it is so exciting. So I, I was looking on the app, Today, as the, the entries were pouring in for college football this weekend, uh, I won my entry last weekend. So I had Michael Penix more than 310 and a half passing yards, and I had Xavier Worthy more than 63 and a half receiving yards. So I got both of those. I, I'm tempted to do a three or a four play instead of just two. And there's so many options right now. Uh, one of the first ones they put in there was Shador Sanders. So Shador Sanders, more than or less than 312 and a half passing yards against Nebraska. I know what you're saying. He threw for 510 against TCU. That's an easy one. But if you watch Nebraska against Minnesota, they took away what Minnesota likes to do, which is run the ball. I'm assuming they will try to take away what Colorado likes to do, which is throw the ball to receivers in space. Now, it it would be wise to not let – them get an eight-yard head start, catch the ball, and make a move. That's what TCU was doing, and it felt like they never changed that. So does, Colorado, does, does Nebraska do that, and can they tackle well enough to make that work? Because that's, that's the other piece of it is you still have to tackle those players once they catch the ball. So, you know, it, Shador Sanders could rack up the yardage, and, and you've got Dylan Edwards, and, and you got Travis Hunter. But there, there's a lot of other options. Uh, we go to receiving yards. They got Marvin Harrison Jr. more than or less than 78 and a half receiving yards, but it's against Youngtown State. So like the question in this one is, how, how long is he going to play? How long before they say, nope, okay, we've seen enough. You, you're, you're, you know, you've gotten out there and played a little bit, but we're going to save you for the bigger games. Uh, Emeko Buka, 67 and a half, same situation. Like How much is he going to play? How much are they going to try to get some depth for those other guys? Here's an interesting one in the receiving yards category. Evan Stewart from Texas A&M. They are playing Miami more or less than 69 and a half receiving yards. We talked about that with Jacob Hester yesterday. And his thing was, yes, you saw Texas A&M's offense running very smoothly against New Mexico, where Connor Wegman would get a one-on-one matchup, throw the ball up, let Evan Stewart out-athlete somebody. A lot harder to out-athlete Miami's defensive back. So I'm going to post some of these on Twitter on Friday and i want you guys to kind of help me pick what i'm going to play but if you want to play you go to prize picks you download the app the referral code is andy and they will match for a first time deposit up to 100 bucks so if you deposit 100 bucks they'll match your 100 bucks if you deposit 50 bucks they'll match 50 bucks the referral code is andy for that matching deposit on the first use so give it a shot it's a lot of fun it's available in 31 states including Florida, Texas, and California. And tomorrow on Twitter, help me out. Help me figure this out. Or fade me. One of the two. I, I, I'm telling you now. So mine are all going to be more thans. I don't like rooting against people. I like rooting for people. So I'm going to pick ones that I think will go more than. And we'll see. But now it is time to talk to Tom Lugenbill, The last time you saw him was weaving his way through the crowd at the Duke game as the students were storming the field so he could interview Mike Elko. He breaks it all down for us. We are joined now by Tom Luganville, ESPN sideline reporter, recruiting reporter. The man does it all, and uh, he also is uh, elbows up in a field storming. Lugs, how are we doing?
3: <laughs> I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Andy?
1: This is uh, so you were you were on the sidelines for Duke and Clemson, and yeah. we're we're gonna have to break this down, Lugs, because Matt Schick, your your <laughs> colleague at ESPN, posted this on Twitter. And it is, this video is glorious. So we'll, we'll start for the people listening in podcast form. You're just, we'll, we'll narrate for you, but I'm going to have, I wish I had a telestrator. Let's, let's put it that way. So what we've got is we've got Luke standing in front of the entire Duke student section as they're about to run on the field. Clock hits zero. Luke's is right now. He has to interview Mike Elko, pushes one dude out of the way. He's got security behind him, goes to the student. you know, goes to the, the guys in the booth. He's pushing players. he's, Oh, he's here. He's at Mike Elko. (laughs) Somebody's coming. Okay. I missed the get off me. There's a great get off me right before you get to Elko.
3: (laughs) So a couple of things on that. First of all, we got to start with with the Duke students, right, Andy? Yeah. When When have you ever seen a potential field storm, all right, where with two minutes left in the game, they actually let the students on the field and not one of them leaves the sideline like it was the most well-behaved <laughs> group and and listen I know nobody there has gotten less than a 1400 on the SAT right so like but think about that there were there were 3,000 students and not one of them started to get wily and just run out on the field while the game was still going on it was it was amazing like I have such respect for how polite they all were so
1: yeah I I, I can vouch for the people who were students at the University of Florida when I was, that never would have happened. No, <laughs> they, would have no! Been, they would have been gone. They'd have been I zip tied, trussed up like pigs before,
3: before well, and it wasn't they ever like got there to leave the It wasn't like there was a bunch of crowd control. By the way, all the people that you see in yellow vests there, mm-hmm. that's actually Duke's TV, video, and audio operations. They're not crowd control. They're not security. All of those people were holding cameras throughout the day and and drawing cable down the line, like the whole nine yards. So we're sitting there and there's about two minutes left. And we're kind of discussing the strategy because, you know, generally when you do that interview, your handheld camera that's on the sideline with you is is getting the shot. Well, that camera is not wireless and it's got about 500 feet of cable. That's about that thick. And there's somebody that's like reeling it out and reeling it in. Well, there's no way from a safety perspective that that camera guy would be able to get there without getting yanked and have, you know, it's, it's dangerous, right? Yeah. So we get, I, I I go, I charge the field. A couple of different things happen. And generally, I'm really good on the angle side of it. Like the what angle I should take. Because my assumption here is that Mike Elko, when the thing goes zero, this is where I was wrong. When the thing goes zero, generally what happens, right? The players come up and hug you. An assistant coach hugs you. Maybe you get a yeah, Gatorade, Gatorade
0: bath. bath.
3: Yeah, yeah. You're shaking a couple of hands. He doesn't do that. He bolts, like he runs to meet up with Dabo Sweeney. So I take a horrible angle. If this was a tackling drill, I'd be off scholarship. I take a whole <laughs> angle. I take a horrible angle, and then I have to stop for a second. You see me, and I pop my head up a little bit, and I see where he's at, and that's when I took the hard left. And I didn't care if you were in a uniform. I didn't care if you were a male, female, dog, cat. I didn't care if you were a student, a coach. I was going to blast through that, right? So then, then, Andy, and you've worn enough earpieces in your career. I get there, and you have this thing called an IFB. It's an earpiece where we can hear the production and everything of the game. And it's got a cable that's tied to the back of your collar and it goes and it hooks into this little radio that's on your waist. Well, somehow through going through all of that, it gets popped out. So when I arrive at Elko, I can't hear the broadcast. It's dead air. (laughs) I can't hear the producer. I can't hear Dave. I can't hear Dusty. Nothing. It's blank. So now I'm going, okay, we got a problem because I don't know what camera we're using to take the interview because we knew we weren't going to use the handheld. And now I can't hear production. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking down and I look down at my right leg and the cable had popped out here, was still plugged into my waist and it's dangling like I had a tail. <laughs> so it's down below my knee. I go down and I reach down and I grab it, pop it back in. And right as I pop it back in, I hear Dave go, "Lugs, Lugs, are you there, buddy? Do we have you? Do you got Coach Elko? And off we went. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: a that is a five-star performance from a guy who evaluates recruits for a living. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, that would that would terrify me because you're, you're you know you're hearing the broadcast, hearing the broadcast, and all of a sudden you get where you need to go and it's nothing.
3: Well, uh, and especially when they're throwing to me, like I have to hear them say down to Tom or luke has got Coach Elka. Right. I had none of that. So and our production did a great job of just showing shots and scenes and the crowd and this and that, knowing. That they, you know, we, we call it stretch in the business. And our producer, I guarantee, you, is telling Dave, hey Dave, I, I don't have Luges yet. You gotta stretch, you gotta stretch, you know, you gotta lay out, stretch, give them time to do this and that. Um, so it was funny. I didn't know it would be what it was when Matt Chick uh, uh, posted it. But the funny part about the whole thing is I, <laughs> I was in cowboy boots. I wasn't in tennis <What>? shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I was in black came and alligator cowboy boots.
1: <laughs> Do are we reconsidering our, our footwear choices? Because like Cole Kublik, he's a sneakerhead. He's always wearing sneakers on the sideline. Yeah,
3: but I'm always I, wearing boots everywhere I go. I don't own a pair of dress shoes. And so every in the 10 years, this is my 10th year on the field as a field analyst, I've worn boots every single game I've ever been on the field. And this time, because of all the craziness, I I got back to the hotel room and my white field paint all over them. Like I gotta clean them all up now. <laughs>
1: Well, it's a hell of a story to tell. Speaking of the story of that game, I thought the most interesting comment I heard during that game was from you. And it was late in the game where you said, I'm looking out on the field and it feels like Duke's the more talented team. And that was, I mean, because you could say, oh, you know, Clemson has better athletes. They had a weird game, but you were down there. And in terms of speed and
3: size, What did it look like? Dude, there wasn't a discrepancy, Andy. That's what was so weird about it. Like, um, I'm watching, and the biggest glaring thing, and Dusty felt like he could see it from up top, and I definitely Mm -hmm. saw it on the field, was Clemson doesn't have any team speed at the offensive skill positions. Those kids couldn't separate from Duke's defenders. And did Cade Clubnick have a great day? No, but lots of times there was nowhere to go with the ball. And when a guy was targeted, he was covered. For the most part. And yeah. that was that was really it, that stood out. Like you could you could see that thing. And you know, the game, you know, Clemson, I don't know, I would agree with Dabo's postgame comments. I don't know when the last time I've seen a Clemson team play like that. I mean, it was it was pretty wild. I mean, they went they went three straight drives in the third quarter where they went to the one-yard line, the four-yard line, and the seven-yard line and came away with no points. Yeah, they they never
1: punted and never scored.
3: It never scored in the second half. Yeah, I mean it's just wild, weird stuff. And outside of that awesome run by Riley Leonard, um, that's the only play they made in the third third quarter. You know the old ad, you know most games are lost, not won. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to take anything away from Duke because the bottom line is Duke made fewer errors than Clemson did. I mean that's that's how and 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 Duke
1: and Duke straight up kicked their butts in the fourth
3: quarter, big time, big time. And I'll tell you, Mike Elko's got that thing going. I don't think even I, in doing our prep, and maybe even Dusty as well, realized um, not just how talented Duke is, but like they're deep. Like they rolled in like six, seven, eight guys along the defensive front. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was impressive. They got after people, and they, like I said, they covered down on Clemson's targets. It was it was a really impressive outing. And that Riley Leonard kid, he has no idea what he's about to become. I mean, he's really <laughs> really good. He's got this innocent naivety about him. And it's like you're sitting down talking to him, and he's like, "And you're saying to yourself, in two years, this guy's going to be standing on an NFL draft stage, and he he doesn't even recognize it yet."
1: It's it, Justin Herbert was exactly like that. Justin yeah. Herbert, you know, as a as a junior in college, was like, "Me? Why are they interested
3: in me?" And that's what this kid is.
1: Yep, I can't yeah. wait. It, I loved it after the game where he's he's asking his professor if he could turn his assignment in late, and he said no. Busy
3: oh no what the, no, no. What the professor said this is what the, this is classic so he does that the professor gets somebody to film him and goes right after Riley he tells him point blank he goes you know two of your offensive linemen your teammates that play right in front of you that are also in this class they prepared ahead of time and already turned in the assignments that's what you should have done so no you don't get an extension I mean he literally <laughs> just dropped the mic on him That is incredible. All
1: right, Leagues, I got to ask about the other thing you said that has made news in the last week, and I'm sure you've been getting killed over this. You were on a podcast last week, and you said that if you think UMass is the worst roster in college football, where do you see Colorado? Now, I will say, if you watch the entire clip, you do mention Shador Sanders is a very good quarterback. Travis Hunter is an elite player anywhere. Yeah. But you so, mentioned the same th- same yeah. thing I've been saying. How are they going to get good big people? So how surprised were you when you saw the TCU game?
3: So first off, and I've addressed this multiple times, I have no problem continuing to address it because when you earn it, you got to own it. Um, I phrased my answer horribly because in my head, when I think of roster top to bottom, I'm talking about depth. And what I yeah. should have said, what I should have said, and I believe this still now, that they may have – the worst depth in college football. Now I'm comparing them to power five people, not UMass or group of five. Right, you're the comparing UMass thing was like... taken out of context because oh. the guy I was co-hosting with had mentioned them 30 minutes before on the podcast about the Mexico State and UMass game and blah, blah, blah. And last year, UMass had the worst roster. So I wasn't comparing them to UMass. I was referencing something he had brought up. And if I would have said maybe the worst depth in college football, that's more than a fair statement. So I own it. It was a complete and utter error by me. Here's my take on Colorado. They were ridiculously prepared. Okay. And again, all we, all we have is one sample size. They were ridiculously prepared. They outperformed the opponent. They have space players that are a nightmare. And I referenced those guys uh, Mm -hmm. uh, with Dylan and, and Travis and, and Shador and see what people don't understand about Shador Sanders. If his dad doesn't take the Jackson state job, He's playing for a power five school. He was a power right. five quarterback coming out of high school. This wasn't an FCS quarterback, right? So his, his, I guess, ascension or his transition isn't a steep learning curve for him because he was a power five quarterback to begin with. Um, I thought that they did all the right things at the right times, but at the same time, if we're going to be fair and really look at the big picture, TCU did all the wrong things at the wrong times. Why? Why? Why would TCU not come after that kid why would TCU not come up and press those receivers and disrupt them they just sat back and let it happen and and those guys are too good in space to do that and Shadour Sanders is too good of a quarterback to just let them all go play pitch and catch and then you know defensively um you know they allowed they allowed 265 yards on the ground Colorado and so that's still problematic I thought that they needed to do, they did exactly what they needed to do because from a long-term perspective, in my long-term perspective, they lit a fuse on Saturday. They lit a fuse that is going to travel all across this country in high school recruiting. They lit a a fuse that is going to travel all over this country in name, image and likeness. They lit a fuse that's going to travel all over this country in the transfer portal. And the long-term benefits, I don't really care what happens the rest of the season with Colorado. They could be three and nine. They could be five and seven. Whatever. It does, to me, it really doesn't matter. If they, they showed what they showed on Saturday, is that they have come to play. Doesn't matter how the roster was built. Doesn't matter what they've done. Because I think long term, this is just me. I think long term, Deion Sanders truly at his core. Coach Prime wants to build this thing at the high school roots. Right. Go out right. and supplement it with the transfer portal if you can upgrade your roster. But if he can go out and he can start to get a bunch of four-star, five-star guys and change the narrative in two to three years, that depth issue is going to be non-existent. It won't. It won't exist. With, it won't exist with the roster because when. Because here's the issue: if Travis Hunter goes off the field, what's replacing him? Or right. if Dylan Edwards goes off the field, what's the drop-off between that guy and this guy? And I think in two to three years, maybe in a year, the drop-off's here. That's not. I don't know if that's what it is right now. And We'll see as the schedule gets tougher, the opponents get tougher. Um, I don't. I don't know how good TCU really is. I thought they would play a lot better. I thought they would be better. They, they weren't. Colorado played better. They outplayed TCU, and they deserve a ton of credit for it. Their kids deserve a ton of credit. Now, now you've got a, a team like Nebraska with Matt Rule last Saturday had to have been going, "Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me!" Right? Um, I'll say this. Nebraska is better than TCU on defense. So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, uh, how Nebraska handles the road contest and how Colorado handles the success.
1: Yeah. I I think Colorado's defense has a little easier task this week than, uh, than it had last week against TCU. So that's, that's the other piece of it. Nebraska's got to get all the turnovers cleaned up and uh, you've got Ole Miss and Tulane. And I think that's a really interesting game because, I was surprised that Tulane made it look so easy against South Alabama. Because oh, South Alabama is a good team. Yeah. And Tul- Tulane's got no Ty J Spears. Uh, Chris Hampton, who's their defensive play caller last year, he's at Oregon now. Like they, they were adjusting to a lot, and it didn't look like they've lost anything.
3: Yeah, they lost two linebackers to the NFL, right? How about this? Replaced all three coordinators in one coaching cycle. Their defensive coordinator, their offensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, all brand new. Yeah. Um, I think Michael Pratt had one incompletion. And, I, and it was a drop over the middle, I think, if I recall wow. the tape from the game. So he goes out, plays lights out. Um, I think they're a little bit more of a running back by committee team. Uh, they're just – he hasn't just built a good team there. Like last year wasn't a fluke. And they, they have longevity. I think that they've built depth. They do all the little things right. Like every single thing Clemson did on Monday night, you will never see that until night. That's just not in their makeup, right? And so I think they've got good players. They've developed good players. And um, and I think Ole Miss has improved too. I mean, look at the quarterback play. One guy was, I think, 14 to 15. The other guy was 18 to 23. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's going to be some gunslinging you know, duels on, on Saturday. And I thought Jackson Dart, I mean, I know it was Mercer, but like he didn't make the boneheaded errors. He didn't throw it into triple coverage after making a beautiful throw. He threw it to the right guy. Didn't take chances with the football. Took some checkdowns, which a year ago he would not have done. And uh, you know, I think Ole Miss has improved on defense, so it could be a great football game. I think it's one of the better games, and it's a shame because the U.S. Open has you know the ESPN and ABC windows, which our crew mm-hmm. would normally be on. So we're on ESPN two, and I, I really hope people find that because I just think the matchup's really intriguing. Me.
1: Oh, it's it, it, I, I think it could be one of the most fun games of the day, and th- and and that day's loaded. Like Saturday is absolutely loaded. Before I let you go, I, I do want to get your take because obviously you follow all the all these guys recruiting as well. Mm-hmm. Texas, Alabama, Texas to me feels like the most talented version of Texas we've seen in yeah fourteen years, and I feel like they got a real shot in this game. Uh, where do you stand on 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 these guys?
3: I, I do too, and, and they need this game, Andy. Like I, I kind of feel like Texas right now is like. Michigan under Jim Harbaugh in like those first four years. Remember when, you know, everybody's posting how bad Michigan's record is against top 10 teams and how bad the record is against top twenty-five teams and how bad the bull record is. And then all of a sudden they beat Ohio State. And all of that stuff went away. They just needed they just needed to get that, that one win and it changes your whole entire outlook going forward. That's where Texas is right now. And I and I do believe that this is their most capable team of doing it. I think the biggest challenge in this game, if you look at the preparation for both sides, one thing stands out to me Texas has to prepare for a dangerous running threat at quarterback, and Alabama doesn't. Alabama's always going to know where Quinn Ewers is, right? So it's a matter of disrupting him when they're throwing it and stopping the run. But they don't have to worry about quarterback lead, RPO stuff in, in the keep. They don't have to worry about quarterback counter, all that stuff. Texas does. And I'll tell you what, I, I think we need to continue to track Alabama in the passing game and see if he can continue to be accurate. We know he's got arm talent, but like Nick Saban said this week, that gap between the defender last week at middle was like this. This week it's going to be like this. And can he still yeah. make those tight throws? So that's fair to track. But, man, I mean, when he takes off, it's not just that he's fast and explosive. You can't bring him down. He's so big and physical. That it just, I just think that's always it puts so much strain on a defense because essentially you're having to play eleven on eleven, right? When the quarterbacks yeah. on a running threat, you're kind of playing eleven on ten to yeah. to some degree. So, but I do think it's it's one of those deals where Texas they're just they're gonna have to play, probably play their best game, and and maybe and, and if Alabama plays their best game, are they a better team? I don't know, I, I don't know, but it is their best opportunity to this point.
1: I cannot wait. Very excited, Lugz. Enjoy New Orleans. Eat well. And uh, get your boots (laughs) clean.
3: I will. I got to get my boots. I got to get a different pair for this week, man. So uh, good talking to you, Andy. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks, Lugz. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family.
1: he he ate the crow on the colorado statement and and look i think what he meant and and he you know explained himself wasn't that different from what i've been saying about how do they get linemen out of the portal that that allow them to have competitive depth and i think if you watch the the tcu game it was a scheme thing they they did a good job of getting the ball out of Shadour sanders hand fast getting it to playmakers in space where if there was going to be a deficiency on the offensive line, it's not going to show up because there's just not time. There's not time for the D line to get to to Shador Sanders. So we'll see how Nebraska plays them again. I think Nebraska's DBs probably at least start out trying to play him a little tighter because TCUs were about eight yards off the ball and they were just letting Shador Sanders catch the ball and throw to somebody. And then, you know, letting that somebody juke somebody and, and run for a long time that, that wasn't going to work. If you're not going to tackle that person when they catch the ball, that's not an effective way to defend that offense. So we will see what happens. But we're talking more about this game because it what Colorado did at TCU makes every Colorado game absolutely fascinating now. And we saw Nebraska last week, they should have won that game. They had a bad interception right before halftime that cost them points. They had a fumble as they're trying to run out the clock. They had another interception as they're trying to run out the clock. The defense actually played really well. The offense needs some work. Sean Callahan from Husker Online joined us to talk about the Nebraska side of the Cornhuskers versus Coach Prime in Colorado. Joined now by Sean Callahan of Husker Online. And uh, Nebraska's headed to Colorado to face Coach Prime. This is... Quite a matchup, Sean, and and Nebraska coming off the the opening week loss to Minnesota that, let's be real here, should not have been a loss.
2: Yeah, you look at Nebraska um, losing 13-10. They they ran, if you look at sack-adjusted rush totals, they went for over 200. Mm -hmm. They forced Minnesota to throw the ball more times than they have since 2015. 44 throws, 35 throws in the second half. They took Minnesota out of everything they wanted to do. Um, it, it was a really good defensive performance, but four turnovers, it doesn't matter. You're not going to win very often, especially the way it happened. Two turnovers in the game's final five minutes. I mean, Nebraska's going basically to ice the game. Yeah. Anthony Grant fumbles the ball. At worst-case scenario, you're going to pin them deep with a punt inside the 20, and they're going to have to go the length of the field, which they had not done the entire game, and have to score a touchdown. Um. So yeah, very disappointing to see Nebraska blow that kind of opportunity to start the Matt Rule era off with a big win. I mean, that would have been a huge win, and now it's kind of a do not doom and gloom, but people are down around here because number one they blew the game, and then number two Colorado looked really good in their game, and now yeah. you're walking into maybe the biggest game Folsom Field has hosted since the '01 Nebraska Colorado game,
1: which didn't go so well for Nebraska. <laughs>
2: Yes, I was at that game, 62-36, and, you know, crazy stat to draw from that game. Since that loss in Boulder, Nebraska football has only been ranked in the top five, the AP top five, for a grand total of one week. Wow.
3: Oh, my goodness. After
2: the one season. I mean, they were yeah. up top five in the Rose Bowl. Right. When you go Rose Bowl beyond, there's only been one week. And it was during the Bo Pelini era um, they found themselves in the top five for one week.
1: Well, this this is a chance though to to bounce back and to to really, you know, kind of reclaim the the mojo that they had going into the season opener. It, the defense was so good, taking Minnesota out of everything they wanted to do. Can that translate to taking Colorado out of what they want to do now that there's actual film of these players playing this scheme?
2: Yeah, I do think. The scheme of Tony White is the scheme of Tony White. I think learning Colorado's players was the challenge now, and now you at least know who these guys are. Like Dylan Edwards, you knew he was a good recruit from Wichita, Kansas, but you didn't know he was going to look like that week one. So you've got a better idea of some of these guys. Travis Hunter's a five-star. You knew he was going to be a good player, um, what they do. But just how that all came together, because that's a whole new staff at Colorado with 50, 60 brand-new scholarship players. They've recently added to the roster So just having a couple of days to catch their breath on Friday and Saturday, watch that game Saturday, practice Sunday. I feel like from a preparation standpoint, Nebraska's in a good spot heading into this game, and they're angry. I mean, you could sense it. I mean, they're they're being quiet around here, uh, but guys are angry. You got Keyshawn Johnson calling Nebraska sorry that they're going to get boat raced by Colorado and and just things like that. You know the team's seeing that, so um, how Rule kind of uses some of the – Critics and the skeptics out there to fuel this team, and also it's a 10 a.m. game. I mean, I just think the atmosphere plays in the favor of the road team because I don't care where you're at; it's hard to get a crowd going at 10 a.m.
1: Well, and and it feels like Nebraska is almost in the situation that Colorado was in last week, where everybody was doubting them, and the whole country's turning it on to see them fail. And Nebraska could come out and show show people something just the way Colorado did,
2: right? And their offense, it just never felt right that entire day in Minneapolis. Um, from the opening possession, they start on the one-yard line. and It just never had a rhythm and a feel. A lot of it, they've got to run the ball better with the tailback, more consistently. Jeff Sims did what he did. They had 200 sack-adjusted rush yards, but Gabe Urban Jr., who's a 225-pound back, that's the guy that they got to slam at Colorado. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Nebraska took Teddy Perhaska, who's done this before. Bring him in at 3-30 as an extra tight end, and, and just go full Big Ten. We're going to wear the Big Ten T-shirt, the bumper sticker, <laughs> and we're just going to Big Ten the hell out of you. I mean, that, that's I, I think that's what Nebraska has to do. They cannot make this a seven on seven game.
1: Yeah, no, because they're going to lose that, and and most teams are going to lose that if they try to play that game against Colorado. That's what TCU did. That's TCU has good players, but Colorado. Is very talented on the edges. Now that we've seen Dylan Edwards, we know what he is. We we know what Travis Hunter is on the edges. And, and they're they, they've got that speed, but you're right. The way to attack Colorado, I would think, is on the line of scrimmage because that's the hardest place to find good players in the transfer portal. That's the hardest thing for them to do. And Nebraska
2: has a veteran O-line, and PJ Fleck made this comment. He, you know, because he played the Tony White 335. 335- personnel in the pinstripe bowl Now white was already at Nebraska. He goes, I'll say this much. He goes, Syracuse didn't have the type of D lineman white has now at Nebraska. I mean, they have a very good nose, Nash Huttmacher, um, who's the strongest guy on this team. I
1: thought, I thought he put the game away with that sack. I thought it was over after that. Uh, Then you
2: look at Ty Robinson, who's going to be out for the first half that's big, Uh, but they play a lot of guys too. And and that's going to be important in this kind of game. If Colorado runs the tempo, they run, Um, You know Nebraska played 17 players over 10 snaps, 22 total defenders in that game. Uh, We saw them sub way more than we've seen in the past. Um, 18 different players saw action on the opening defensive series alone.
1: Wow. Well, the the Nebraska offense does need to be better. Jeff Sims, how what can they do in terms of him making better choices? Because the interception at the end of the game was very bad. Obviously, you know, throwing into that coverage, not great. But I thought the the more unforgivable one was the one right before halftime. They're going in to score. Even if he does, you know, if he just throws that ball away, you come away with three points and you probably still win the game.
2: Yeah, and, and they get the ball to start the third quarter. That's the other thing. I mean, you think about what those three points, 13 to three games over at that point, if they get the same 10, they get in the second half, and um, I think the biggest thing is can they get the run game going to get Colorado off balance. Minnesota yeah, sure. was rarely off balance in that game. So when it was obvious passing situations, what did they do? Minnesota dropped three or, or dropped seven and eight guys in coverage, and Jeff Sims struggled to squeeze the ball in those tight coverage windows, and and it showed. I mean, he just they always had two guys back at the, the safeties, and every play was well covered. And Jeff Sims struggled to squeeze those throws. And Billy Kemp is their top receiver. He didn't have a catch. Thomas Fedoni was the nation's top-ranked tight end in high school a couple of years ago, did not have a catch. They've got to get some of those other pieces going in their offense.
1: So do you think a a more traditional – because obviously they can run the ball with Jeff Sims. He's a weapon running the ball. But if they can do more with the backs, do you think that opens up a little more of the passing game – in terms of play action and, and some other things.
2: Yeah, if they can get downhill and get good early yard gains, then that that that's going to loosen things up on the back end. I think that's the key. Minnesota, I felt like, never really f- had to bring people up. Uh, mm-hmm. They played back, and they were able to kind of withstand the charge. Nebraska had a couple you know, 25-, 27-yard type runs, uh, but they never forced Minnesota to really play their safeties in. Their safeties always are back. And and they took away the big play. Uh, Nebraska, the the other problem they have is they don't really have a true deep shot guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know they had that last year, Trey Palmer. They had that before, Samari Torre. It was going to be Xavier Betts, and he quit. Um, you know Isaiah Garcia Castaneda is fast. He's out for the season now. Um, so who is the deep shot guy? Tommy Hill, a corner, is now doing some receiver for Nebraska. He played some snaps last week. Jalen Lloyd, a true freshman. He ran 10-4 in the 100. Malachi Coleman runs 10-4 in the 100, electronic guys. Um, those two guys could be deep shot guys, but they don't have any proven deep shot bodies. And Jeff Sims does throw a good deep ball. They just yeah. got receivers that can get there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you, you got to have somebody out there to catch it. And you know it, it's interesting with this situation because it was a similar loss to what Nebraska fans are used to. It is a new thing to Matt Rule. You know how did he handle that that first loss and and how does he bounce back
2: yeah i i mean i think he understood what he was walking into but then when you live it it's different i mean the, the microscope here and the freak out meter is different in nebraska like right i mean it people here are down like it like it, just the fear of another losing season has hit people here they're like they just want to go to a bowl game andy that's i mean just get to a bowl, <laughs> game, bowl game i mean yeah. come on like like 90 some thousand people go to a freaking volleyball game here and they go to a football game every week and they can't get to a bowl game. It really, really irks at Nebraska fans right now. And the fear of that type of season again, I think 0 and 2, because the way Colorado played, I mean, that that's the feeling around this place right now. Like, man, if we're 0 and 2, that means we got to win six out of 10 to go to a bowl.
1: Well, and the other thing is they're probably sitting there going into the season going, well, at least it'll be 1 and 1 after the first two thinking maybe it's a loss at Minnesota and a win, win at Colorado, right. the Colorado things, no guarantee. And then the Minnesota thing should have been a win and it just, you know, ripped out from under them. So I can't imagine the the frustration level, they, yeah, a, a win here would actually, I mean, really change the tone. I would imagine.
2: No doubt. Cause you, that Colorado TCU game going in, I think we all thought TCU was going to win handling. I mean, they were how many times is a 24 point dog win um, you know, win straight up.
1: Not I mean, often. It
2: doesn't happen very often. And, um, you know, I think everyone's like, oh, TCU's going to win this game like 48 to 14 or something. And, you know, is going to kind of comfortably roll in the boulder and, and, and be ready to go. And just the way this thing went from zero to 60 so quickly, um, that's what's made this unique. And it's the opening game of the Deion Sanders era at Colorado. And um, there's going to be a lot of Nebraska fans there, though. Don't undersell that angle. We saw that in 2019 where over 60% of the stadium was Nebraska fans. Now, they've tried to keep Nebraska fans out, but, Andy, Nebraska fans still will come.
1: I was going to say, Nebraska fans are great at finding tickets in, in, in an away game, but it is uh, it is the most expensive ticket in Boulder in a long time. The cheapest get-in ticket is now more expensive than an entire season of Colorado football was in 2022. So they're pumped. Everybody's pumped for this, Sean. I it it I keep going back to to the Nebraska like you mentioned Keyshawn Johnson talking about Nebraska. Like people who don't even watch college football will be talking about Nebraska this week because they're playing Dion. So this is this is the the chance. If they really want to shine on a big national stage, this is their chance. Right.
2: And and you don't get these opportunities. And there could be over 10 million people watching this game. Oh yeah. We saw the number last week. It was over in the sevens. Well, this week's gonna be higher. So just you don't get those kind of opportunities. I mean, the last time this many people watched a Nebraska football game was either the 9 Big 12 title game with Sue, which you were there at that game with me. Oh, yeah. uh, And and almost 13 million watched that game. Um, You know, and then the, the 2010 game was like 9 million when they played Oklahoma. So, you know, they haven't had this many
1: eyeballs on a Nebraska game in a long time. It's a big one. They need it bad. But then you got Coach Prime on the other side. It is it is, it is unbelievable that we're getting this at 10 a.m. local time on week two.
0: Hey,
2: they used to play Black Friday for yep. at least two of the times I went to Boulder, 07 and 09. Those, those were – and maybe even 05. Um, they played at least two or three 10 a.m. games out there back in the day because Texas didn't want to play at 11 a.m. in Austin against Baylor or whoever they were playing. Yeah. Well, so the Nebraska Colorado game got shelved to 10 a.m., which it was always great. Cause you could fly home. Mm-hmm. I'll, like Bill Callahan played that game, got fired. And by 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, he was fired. I mean, wow. in, in the media, the media flew home that night. So it is, I mean, it's, yeah, it's crazy that this is a 10 a.m. kick, but I think it's an advantage for the road team.
1: I, I can't wait. We're all going to be watching. And, uh, you're right. More eyeballs on Nebraska football than uh, than any time since Indama Sue was tossing Colt McCoy like a rag doll. Wow, Sean Callahan, thank you so much. Thanks, Eddie. That is an amazing stat. Just incredible. Think about because Nebraska is a big brand. They're in the Big Ten. They're playing Ohio State regularly. They're playing Michigan, but it, it's just that's the coach prime effect. That is seven million people watched that Colorado TCU game. And I imagine in that same time slot you're going to get a huge bump in viewership and and it's you know it's not all traditional college football fans that it's bringing in a lot of the casual folks. So big stage. Big stage for Colorado again and a big stage for Nebraska. Another big stage will be in Raleigh on Saturday. Notre Dame comes to visit NC State. This one's going to be a fun one. Sam Hartman against a really good North Carolina State defense. Tyler Horka of Blue and Gold joined us to break that matchup down. We welcome Tyler Horka of BlueandGold.com talking Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish headed to NC State. And for one particular member of Notre Dame's team, this is a very, very familiar foe. Tyler, what does Sam Hartman say about his experience with NC State? He started against them three times already.
4: Yeah, I wish Notre Dame would have given them to us uh, during midweek media, but maybe that was strategic on Notre Dame's part not to do that. But Sam Hartman did, after the Tennessee State game on Saturday, kind of say, hey, I've been there before. I've played against this team. Uh, They're not going to like us. They didn't like me when I was at Wake Forest. And now, obviously, with a little bit of a more recognizable logo attached to my name, they're not going to like me this time either. So, I know that NC State got Sam Hartman twice in those three games that they played. So NC State has a 2-1 and record against Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman, a 1-2 and record against those guys. But something tells me that if they were to get Sam Hartman again, this one would be a little sweeter, even though it's not a conference game or anything like that. If NC State were to knock off Notre Dame with Sam Hartman as the quarterback, that'd be a big, big deal in Raleigh. I was going to say because it adds an extra layer because,
1: yeah, Sam and Wake Forest – In general, Wake Forest in general has been a problem for them over the last Mm -hmm. five years or so. Even when they've won, it's been close and tight. So, yeah, this is a it it, it does just add an extra little bit of spice to it. Um, But I I know Sam, after the Tennessee State game, said, hey, very different offenses between Wake Forest and Notre Dame. Uh, How do you think Notre Dame's particular offense with Sam Hartman running it matches up against the Tennessee State defense?
4: Yeah, it's kind of strength on strength, isn't it? Because NC yeah. State loves to stop the run. Last year, NC State was the number 11 team in the country at stopping the run. And then obviously things are a little different with, for Notre Dame now that they have Sam Hartman. They feel like they can throw it around a little bit more. But I think as much as the Notre Dame coaches don't want to go back and look at why did Wake Forest struggle last year in a 30-21 to 21 loss against NC State, it's because they only had 17 rushing yards. As much as that's the the case, Notre Dame's going to come into this game and say, we're not going to approach this like we can't run on NC State. We're going to try Audric Estime. We're going to try all these other scholarship backs that we have that could start at a lot of different places and help Sam Hartman in that way. Because if Sam Hartman has the complement of a running game, I think that he's going to be able to feel a little bit more comfortable than he did last year. I mean, if you go back and look at that game last year as well, his offensive line had five or six false starts. I mean, it was, it was crazy from that perspective. And then when they actually did get the playoff, they were letting guys through unblocked. So Sam Hartman he shouldn't have those issues at Notre Dame. Offensive line's better, running game's better. That should allow him to pass the ball a little bit better too. So Jared Parker, Notre Dame's offensive coordinator, how does he feel about his running back
1: depth now that he's gotten a chance to see all of the non Audric Estime guys in game action?
4: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. If you look at the Tennessee State game, Jeremiah Love opens the scoring with a 36-yard touchdown. That guy's a true freshman. That's his first score of his career. A little bit later in the game, Jab- uh, Jadarian Price excuse me, takes, a, I think it was a 40-yard pass from backup Steve Angeli to the house for a touchdown. Jabron Payne, who's really Audric Estime's number two uh based on what we've seen in the first two weeks, he takes a 42 yard pass to the house. So a lot of that was Tennessee state's defense, obviously, but I mean, this is time and time again, you get different guys showing up, scoring touchdowns. Notre Dame had four different running backs score a touchdown in that game against Tennessee state. I don't care who you're playing. That's when you know, you have some depth, some depth where you've got some guys that have come in and you say, Hey, this guy's a threat to, to score the ball, not just, do the things that we want within the offense, but he's a threat to score if he gets on the field. So we talked about it all off season with Jared Parker, but in the first two weeks, absolutely. We've seen some things to say, Hey, this is a real thing with the Notre Dame running backs.
1: Is this, you know, this test against this defense, does this give us a better idea of what everybody's capable of?
4: Yeah. And that. Goes for Sam Hartman as much as it goes for the Notre Dame offensive line, the running backs I just talked about, the pass catching targets. Like Jaden Greathouse has come in and looked like a true number two wide receiver to Jaden Thomas right away, but we don't know if Jaden Greathouse, the true freshman, can do that against Power Five defense. NC State has a pretty good one. So from Hartman to the line to the running backs to the receivers and even the the tight ends who caught four. Uh, Mitchell Evans caught three passes in a row and then that drive at the end of the Tennessee State game was finished off by a tight end touchdown from sophomore Holden Stay. So you've got all these parts like working for the Notre Dame offense, but how much of that was Navy? How much of that was Tennessee State? We're going to find out Saturday against NC State.
1: In more weird reunion news because of the transfer portal. So Notre Dame has played a Brennan Armstrong quarterback team coordinated by Robert and I before. Virginia in, in 2021, Marcus Freeman was in his first year as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. So he he matched up against that group. And that was a pretty good Virginia offense. And it had maybe its worst day against Notre Dame.
4: Well, if you remember, Brennan Armstrong didn't play in that game. Oh, so that's that, right. That's right. That was a big deal. Um, But that that goes with the conversation that Ney and Brennan Armstrong are these two like inseparable pieces I wrote at blueandgold.com, It's like peanut butter and jelly or uh, Sunday and NFL football. It's like Robert and a and Brennan Armstrong. These guys are just good together. And and like you were saying, Andy, they were so good in 2021. And then boom, you get one game where they couldn't play together. And Notre Dame made that offense look like one of the worst offenses in the FBS. So this is going to be a tough test. Let's put it this way. Notre Dame lucked out that Brennan Armstrong couldn't play that day because if Brennan Armstrong did it wouldn't have been a I don't know what the final score was but I think it was like 28 well, it was, it
3: was
1: 28 to play. 3 yeah I mean that was a really good Virginia offense they had Jelani Woods they, they had they had a lot of weapons and and as you mentioned Robert and I goes to Syracuse and yeah. Brennan stays at Virginia and apart they didn't look very very good but mm-hmm. back together now in Raleigh so it, it is it's crazy how the transfer portal works because it,
4: it feels like we get the, all these weird storylines every week well, here's another one. Uh, I mean, this is further down the road, but a lot was made of the JT Daniels playing Texas thing mm-hmm. for the third time with three yeah. different teams. How about Jack Plummer playing Notre Dame for the third time with three different teams? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he played him with uh, Purdue and then Cal last year. And, and then this year, Um, not we'll playing. T- Louisville. Louisville, exactly, yeah. And, and, and Phil Dracovic, how about that one with Boston College for the Notre <laughs> Dame quarterback? It's to your point. I mean, the storylines are endless.
1: It's it, it is.
4: It is amazing.
1: So it, it, optimism, very high, obviously, in South Bend. How how much of it is tempered by what they've played so far, Navy and, and Tennessee State? Because it feels like if they can go to Raleigh, which is a notoriously tough place to play. Mm-hmm. We all remember our, our guy after the Florida State game, the 300 pound dude climbing a pole with his, his yeah. shirt, you know, yeah. waving in the air. Like mm-hmm. if they can go there and play well, win. How how high does optimism go in South Bend?
4: Yeah, it's already really high, even with the opponents being what they were. Marcus Freeman had a really good quote about that. He said, okay, it's Navy, it's Tennessee State. And I don't want to take anything away from those teams because they they all practice as hard as anybody else does. But the way that we looked against those teams has to have you feeling pretty good. I mean, 42 to 3 is in, in week zero in Dublin with all the weirdness of that atmosphere. That's pretty good. Uh, 56 to three doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Notre Dame is nine for nine in the first half, scoring touchdowns. When Sam Hartman's been on the field 12 times, Notre Dame scored 11 touchdowns. <laughs> Those numbers are going to come down against yeah. an NC State team. Like you, you'll probably see Notre Dame punt in the first half of a game for the first time all season, but that's still not that bad. It's, say if you punt like two times and you score three touchdowns and you have 21 points at NC State at halftime, that's where the optimism starts coming in like you said, Andy, because you're like, oh, we're doing this on the road against a good NC State defense. Mm-hmm. Bring on Ohio State, right? At that point, USC and those teams. So for Jared Parker, how big a game is this? Because
1: we know everything that happened with the offensive coordinator search in the, in the offseason. Andy Ludwig got the dog and pony show on campus. They're showing him at basketball games. He's back at Utah winning, you know, winning games with a backup quarterback and backup offensive lineman already. Uh, uh-huh. But Jared Parker's looked, very good so far. This is his first real test.
4: Yeah, you don't want it to be one of those situations where you think you know what you have, and then all of a sudden you play an actual team, and it's not anything like that. I'll bring up an example. When I was covering Mississippi State a few years ago, Mike Leach's first year there, KJ Costello, the quarterback. 600 the yards play, against LSU. <laughs> play LSU, the defending national champion. And I know LSU ended up not being that good that year, but you thought, holy cow, Mississippi State has the air raid rolling in Starkville. This is a thing. And then they lost to Arkansas the next week and went three and seven that season. So I'm not saying it's going to be that much of a a dip for Jared Parker and Notre Dame, but this is a test to see like, hey, this is what we think we have. We're about to find out what we actually have.
1: And if if they do pull it off, yeah, get ready for the hype train to be out of control as you hurdle toward the, the Ohio State game. Tyler, thank you so much. Yes, sir. That's Tyler Horca, man. Loaded, loaded Saturday. Think about that—the noon Eastern window. You got that Colorado-Nebraska game. You have that Notre Dame-NC State game. Then you you, you get to the mid-afternoon. You're rolling into to Miami and Texas A&M. You got Texas-Alabama at night. You got Tulane-Ole Miss, which is going to be a fun game. Uh, it's just it, it is going to be a very, very fun Saturday. Extra point, we're talking helmet logos. So if you're watching the Louisville-Murray State game on Thursday night, and, and, and you probably aren't, but if you were watching it, uh, you'd be watching Louisville up 28-0 on Murray State, about to go into halftime, unless Murray State pick sixes this Hail Mary. But that didn't happen. Uh, but if you notice Louisville's helmet logo and the logo on the 50-yard line, it is the Cardinal stiff-arming. This is a beautiful logo. This is a beautiful logo. I am a sucker for an anthropomorphized animal stiff-arming something. Like, Iowa has one of these logos, too. There's a Herky Hawkeye who who does this. I want to see the Iowa logo on an Iowa helmet. I know you're not not taking the Tiger Hawk off the helmet, but just once, maybe just do it. But I want to see this all over the place. I want to see... Techno Beaver at Oregon State stiff-arming somebody. I want to see Goldie at Minnesota stiff-arming somebody. I want to see Albert the Alligator with one of his stubby little arms stiff-arming as a helmet logo. If you have an animal mascot, make a cartoon of him stiff-arming something and put it on your helmet. It's going to be glorious. Just watch Louisville tonight. That's the show. Cannot wait for the football. We will be back after each window of games, breaking it all down. So after that noon Eastern window, after your your Nebraska, Colorado, after your Notre Dame, NC State, we'll be there. After the midday window, after your Texas A&M's and Miamis, we'll be there. After the night window, after your Texas, Alabama, we will be there. Come join us. If you can't come join us, that's no problem. It'll all be there for you Sunday morning in podcast form. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: Step into the world of power, loyalty.